Welcome to this week's Two Men in the Middle podcast, where two men in the middle of the Midwest pontificate about news, politics, and all things current. I'm Brandon Kinnig. I'm Craig Huey. Craig, let's get right down to it. Last night was the first Republican presidential primary debate on Fox News. First opportunity to hear from many of these candidates uh, in a public forum, have questions asked, and... You know, I had a lot of takeaways. I was I was disappointed with the mm-hmm. moderation by yeah. the Fox host, which I guess I should have been surprised. There were some surprises. You mentioned the introductions themselves, like some of the questions. The introduction, introductory question was about a country music hit song on the Billboard 100, which is a local news item this week, but is more of a cultural thing, not... The most relevant thing. And what struck me is between that, the questions on UFOs and aliens, there were a lot of topics that did not receive much attention at all. There was not one question on healthcare policy, despite the fact that that ranks as a number one issue for many Americans. Very little about the economy. Very little about, and only one, get this one question on climate change, and that was a question they took from a millennial voter. And then none of the questions answered that, except for Vivek, who said climate change is a a hoax. hoax. So this is a question that is critical for most younger Americans, those under the age of 40, and that's at the top of their policy agenda. And yet none of the questions would take it on, none of the candidates would take it on except for the one who called it a hoax i mean that doesn't bode well if you're trying to win the youth vote brandon to me this was the weirdest presidential debate i I, i've ever seen starting with the the introduction and the first kind of question there's this song by a a, i'm gonna call him a folk artist uh oliver anthony edwards or something really unknown yeah yeah it came from nowhere it's it's a protest song about the government it's called richmond north of richmond and it's again it's a it's a folk song bitching about people in power in dc this is something that comes along all the time for some reason the right is clamped onto this and made this a little bit of a, a cultural totem right now i was very surprised that they let off this debate basically with a culture warrior style question. They gave everybody the opportunity and they kind of went right off the bat that how I interpreted that was we are not going to get into it tonight. What we're really going to do is fart around the edges. No serious topics going to be discussed. And right from the beginning, I had kind of a bad taste in my mouth because I thought that was just in poor taste and I just didn't understand why. Yeah. Second thing too, uh, what was the crowd doing? The crowd was obviously being prompted to applause and to applause loud. Who goes batshit crazy when Asa Hutchinson and Doug Bergman gets introduced? Nobody. (laughs) The crowd, they had to be prompted to to applaud because they were applauding at things that didn't make sense. They were applauding at things that contradicted each other. The crowd took away from the debate. There were multiple times that you couldn't hear what the exchanges were back and forth with the with the candidates because the crowd noise. No, I just didn't understand. And at one point, Nikki Haley actually told Old Brett Bear and Martha McCallum, you need to get control of this debate. Yeah, because <laughs> the mean, crowd would not shut up. Why? <laughs> why were there seven thousand people? And who there? were these people? Uh, so some of it was not surprising because any of the candidates have mildly criticized Donald Trump. Which, by the way, how many minutes surpassed before there was even a question There's about the hour. elephant in the, the room? The first hour, they that's made insane. a conscious decision: no Trump questions. You have a candidate that's been indicted four times, facing federal charges, who in twenty-four hours was going to be fingerprinted and get his mugshot, and we. He wait an hour before his name comes up? He's the leader of the party, too. And he's not here. Leading all the polls, yeah. Th- this is what, the whole the whole event, 
made no sense to me. So I'm looking at eight people on stage from the Republican Party at a debate where the leader of the race and the leader of the party isn't present, and nobody acknowledges that. Uh, you're also looking at a group of people. DeSantis, I saw today, is is still in the second position. He's down to like 10 or 11 or 12 nationally. Everybody's 30 points at least down to this guy. Did you see any desperation on those people? Did you see any attempt to recognize we have a long way to go and I have to make some moves here? I, I didn't see anybody really itching to get into the fight no. and, and trying to move their position It was forward. the same level of timidity and fear fear that we saw back in 2016 when a similar group exactly. of candidates were on stage with Trump. And so, you know, it really tells you, too, that if Trump had been there, that I think we would not have expected any different behavior because these candidates are not up to it. They just they don't have the fight. in them. Did, did you think Ron DeSantis actively wanted to get into a debate and to get into a scrap? He didn't. He certainly did, didn't, he didn't look come like across it. With, no. I mean, he he failed to answer virtually any question directly. And he really just kind of floundered. And it was really remarkable to watch him get overshadowed by Vivek uh, yeah. pretty early on. So that was something I didn't expect. I, I assumed because all of that debate stuff had leaked out about Ron that, you know, either there was a calculation behind that and he was going to be extra forceful and aggressive. But we didn't really see that from him. Nope. Um, you know, Tim Scott has been touted by the donor class as the, you know, this candidate who could be the alternative. Nope. He didn't show up that nope. night. Uh, so, you know, it was, I think, remarkable from that standpoint. Vivek was a complete stand-in for Trump. And so what's interesting is I expected more of them to go after Ron DeSantis, who is polling behind Trump, but is quickly in freefall. But instead, all of that fire ended up becoming trained on Vivek because he— took on everybody essentially in the room and you know the fox host they basically i I mean they provided cover for him too they did because when he said that you know all of his opponents were bought and paid for i mean brett bear used that to launch a question where he asked everything directly are you bought and paid for i'm like are you kidding me what's going on here why wouldn't the mood be to stop the debate and say we're going to take what you just said word by word number one how is Nikki Haley bought? Yeah, what do you then, mean? Then we're going to go individually by each individual person. Now tell me what paid for means. And if you can't, we're going to mute your mic because that type of attack is not, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't get you anything. No. I, I didn't understand, I did not understand why we were here. And I didn't understand why this group of people were here. Doug Berman, Tim Scott, and Asa Hutchinson, they shouldn't even have been there. I think um, Asa Hutchinson and, and Bergman got like seven minutes each. Scott got a little more. So there's like 15 to 18 minutes you could put back into the debate just by getting those three off the stage. I, I hate to say this, but Tim Scott's a non-starter. He, people want Tim Scott to be a presidential candidate. He's simply not. And he should drop out before the next before the next. Yeah, debate. it was a very pitiful There's no reason for him to be there. All I took away was it was almost um, – automated his like response about his belief in God or his Judeo-Christian yep. beliefs. That's what he kept going back to over and over again, almost like an AI response to every question. I mean, he could have like he could have come up with anything else and he had no breakout moment. There's just nothing there. No. There, there's nothing but that's a problem too. Like all he does at this point is talk about his story, you yeah. know, but he doesn't Which, have I get it. 
I and, right. and I hate saying this, but Tim Scott, your story is you're a black senator from South Carolina, and the best it came out of poverty. And the biggest but, thing about that story, the thing that makes that story relevant, is you're black. If you were a white senator from South Carolina, you would not be on this stage. Sorry, but that that's your narrative. Go with it. Go with it forcefully. But the problem is he has nothing outside that narrative. He doesn't have any legislative accomplishments. He has no leadership, uh, really, experience that he can point to. And so that's where it kind of falls apart because it's like you need something more than that. You know, a compelling personal story of how you rose up from poverty only goes so far. Like, okay, well, how does that translate into Did being Slap somebody chief around executive? with that story. Take, take the riches. What, what, what else I get to is, you know what calms Vivek Ramaswamy down? You just say, hey, Vivek, could, Vivek, could you tell the story of how you got rich? Could you tell us that one? Let's learn about how about the lawsuit against your tell us about the drug you bought that had already failed trials and you used some VC money to buy the patent for it. Then we got some more VC money to try to to take it to to market and the company went public and you cashed out and you left with a big bag of money. And when the drug failed for the fifth time to pass trials and got pulled, all the investors lost their money. There's a real easy way to get to Vivek. I'm glad you mentioned that because none of his opponents brought that up. They also didn't mention that there's a group of former employees that are suing his company. for sure. And they, they're saying that he, they were pressured into trying to commit securities fraud. So how come none of his opponents brought this up? The active lawsuit, the securities fraud? I, I, I don't think they were ready for <laughs> Vivek to come out as hard as he, as he could. And I think most people were waiting for Christie to crack DeSantis. And yeah. once that happened, that's where they were but all going to go. Craig, it's a lack of uh, foresight because if you've been following the polls, Vivek has been gaining on DeSantis in Iowa and some of these states. Yeah. So he is has been on the rise. He's the candidate seeing the most uh, dramatic increase. And if you follow his rhetoric, um, he keeps saying crazy Shit. I mean, you know, 9-11 conspiracy. He is doing what Trump would normally do, right? He is throwing anything and everything against the wall to gain traction and trying to get for the base to eat up. I mean, he's really an empty suit, a phony. Um, I saw, I think, Charlie Sykes made the comparison, which I was thought was funny that he's like basically the Republican version of Tracy Flick. If nobody knows, that's a reference from the film Election 1999 with Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon about a city council election. So Tracy Flick was this go-getter, like super ambitious, like wanted to be like a political leader her entire life. And that was her life goal is to, you know, be in politics. And if you know anything about Vivek, people close to him have said, like, he's wanted to be famous his whole life. This is all about being sure. famous. He was a, he did a vote for the first time until he was 30. Correct. You know, all of this stuff. And, you know, I was surprised more people didn't go after him. I, by the way, I, as an aside, I just realized that Vivek and I are basically the same age. Yeah. August 9th, 1985 is his birthday. My birthday is August 31st, 1985. So <laughs> we're almost exactly the same age. I mean, the obvious winners last night were Vivek. Haley, Pence, yeah, and maybe Christie did okay. DeSantis just kind of wouldn't get into the fight and held his own. So by staying pat, that was a loss for him, and everybody else just shouldn't even have been participating at that point. Um, so I, I do want to give – I was really impressed. Well, Chris Christie had some standout moments, I thought, in terms of – going after Trump and saying uh, that, uh, do we really want to normalize this behavior? Yeah. Um, Pence actually stood out and shined in terms of talking about how he upholded his, his duty and oath um, and was very direct and clear on that, did not waver. Although I did think it was a cop-out then when the candidates were asked if they would 
vote for Trump, and he was one of the ones that raised his hand. It's like everybody really, you're raised going to- their hand, including Chris Christie, except Asa Hutchinson. He's the only one who didn't raise but his hand. But then Chris Christie seemed to backtrack. Remember, he said, I, I wasn't really but, raising yeah, my he, hand from that. He, I he was, went like this. I'm making a little short motion at, at the hip. And I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Christie, <laughs> no come on. Everybody- this, this is off brand for you. You're a dick. Be a dick. Don't, don't half-ass it like that. That, yeah. that was, I thought that was probably the most shameful part of the debate. Right, because it's like you did it, and then you're trying to backtrack and say you don't really mean Like, come on. Just, like, be direct. Um, I was really impressed by Nikki Haley. She sounded the most like a traditional pre-Trump Republican in several of the positions she articulated. Uh, so um, I just want to read a few quotes on spending. She said, the truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. Our Republicans did this to us. They passed $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill. Uh, you have Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. True. Uh, which is all true. But again, it's not something you traditionally see Republicans calling out their own leaders. Um, she also brought to the attention that three quarters of Americans don't want another matchup between Trump and Biden and that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. We can't win this way. And then what I like the most is she took Vivek head on in terms of like his very extreme foreign policy positions yeah. because he wants to abandon Ukraine, abandon Taiwan. I thought for one minute she was going to say, listen, you little shit. It sounded like I mean, she, she was mad. Real Look, she close. had the rage yeah. there. Um, and she told him, she's like, you have no foreign policy experience. And it shows. Them, You're terrible true. at yeah, this. It's just, it's, it, it was so, so there were a couple of breakout moments. And I will give her credit, even though it was kind of ambiguous and vague. She was also trying to trot, if you paid attention on the abortion question, a middle line on abortion. If you read between the lines, she was the only candidate up there that tried, basically said, there's a middle common ground on abortion. And she, she took apart like efforts to go after contraception about late-term abortions. She was really trying to stake out, saying there's a position between banning all abortions mm-hmm. and, and having right. no restrictions, and she's right. And she also tried to bring reality to home when she was reminding, I think it was DeSantis, saying, you can't pass a national abortion ban. You have to have 60 votes in the Senate. Let's be honest about this. And we've never had 60 votes in the Senate for something like that. Hey, if that's Nikki Haley, 365 days of the next year, I'm in. Yeah. That was one day where... She was very different than a lot of the times I've seen. I, Nikki I agree, Haley. and that's been my if, biggest criticism of Nikki Haley is she has been so flaky. And so, if wh- she's going to get in the fight, so much we welcome you. But are you in now, or are you not in? Because yeah. so far you haven't been in, right? And all you did was crack, like you said, Vivek, who was was wanted to be cracked. That was his whole strategy. Uh, the next two weeks for Nikki Haley are going to be really, really interesting. It'll be interesting to see if the donor class, if we see a shift from funding Ron DeSantis to funding Nikki Haley, particularly the big donors that are more traditional minded, more anti-Trump that are trying to find an alternative. Do they decide now this is the time to abandon ship with Ron and and put our eggs in the Nikki Haley basket? She's got to be calling all of Tim Scott's. Oh, I believe you cannot be you can't be seriously moving forward with Tim Scott after. after Uh, And getting back to the audience, what I didn't understand is so the audience like ate up everything Vivek said. Who was the audience? And and I didn't get that. Well, and that's what I did get too because they also booed and hit. 
pissed at any criticism of Trump. But then when Nikki Haley went after Vivek, she got some major applause. So I'm like, did they just suddenly change 180 degrees? And uh, the, the crowd, I do not understand. It made no sense. Yeah. I think the crowd was getting heavily prompted by, by the Fox producers of what they what they wanted them to do. But they it, they were also out of control at times. And that's the thing. I mean, it was it got to the point where, I mean, <laughs> you know, the candidates could not speak because the crowd would have shut up. So it, there also comes a time and point where it also makes the Fox moderators look weak because, yeah. you know, they can't control the crowd. Nikki Haley did three really good things at this debate that made her the clear winner. One, she reached out and just cracked Vivek Ramaswamy for just idiotic foreign policy positions that are just dumb, stupid, and just prove he's not serious. And yeah. it was obvious Vivek Ramaswamy is not running for president. No. He, he's a Trump surrogate, basically, on, on the stage. So she called him out for that. Um, second, she called out Pence with the abortion uh, uh, discussion around, hey, stop saying shit that you know is never going to pass. Right. Hey, Pence, do you have 10 Republican senators in your pocket that we don't know about that are going to vote for abortion? How, how do we get for 60? If you could lay that out right now, I'll, I'll, I'll vote for you, Pence. She should have hit him even harder and said, you tell me, who are the 60? What is the plan? How do we get there? And I love the fact that she said, you stop demonizing women that this is totally their choice. We're not giving them that choice because we're not going to be able to pass this damn thing. I thought that was extremely strong. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because the, the statement about women to stop demonizing women, um, I think I was um, typing or reading a reaction when she said that. So and I immediately looked up. My ears perked up, and so I caught whiff of that. I didn't know directly what it was in response to. I, I assumed it was the abortion issue, but I'm glad you put that in context. But that was in context of what Pence had said. Then, yeah. Right? Okay. And did you, I didn't understand Pence's comeback that consensus is not leadership. In this day and age, reaching a consensus would require massive amounts of leadership, Mike. And that's the only way to get anything passed or Correct. enacted. You have to have consensus. I mean, that's how you know governments have operated for centuries. And the third thing I like that she hit on is she kept talking about honesty. You're not being truthful. You're not telling the full picture. You're talking about what you want. You want an abortion ban, Mike Pence, and it doesn't matter that 73%, that, that's irrelevant. You know better than anybody. That's not going to happen. Stop talking about it. Stop yeah. riling people up. And I thought that was a, a really good message. It was a stand-up That moment. she delivered well. And she was the only one, I think, that was brave enough to go there because all of the, I don't want to say all the other candidates, many of the other candidates latched on to a national abortion ban, which again goes way beyond what we saw with the Dobbs decision. And other candidates were just afraid to even articulate a position. And and it got back, I immediately started thinking about how this continues to be an issue that plagues Republicans to their detriment because they don't have any unified position when it comes to abortion mm -mm. restrictions or what happens now. And they were all over the place, and you could clearly yep. see that. But again, the only one, and Nikki Haley was the only one who really staked out a moderate kind of middle-of-the-row position on that, which again is the only thing that's going to play to a national uh, electorate. The others, I mean, national abortion bans in this environment are not going to play. And I will give credit to Martha McCallum, at least when she asked that question. She did ask it in the context of you've had six states and every one of them that have had a voter referendum have upheld abortion rights. Yeah. And so it's like and it's like many of the candidates completely ignored that and go to their tried and true ban abortion position. That's just, not what the electorate Pence, is just for. come out and say, I'm willing to give up political power for my abortion stance. Just say it. 
Just say, I'm willing to have less political power to maintain as a party this moral position. Are, are Republicans cool with that? They must be because they won't come up with any alternate position that seems to help them at, at, the, at, at, the, at the ballot box. Yeah. I just don't. Nikki Haley was the only one that looked like she was ready for a fight. She was prepared. She knew exactly what Vivek Ramaswamy was. Nikki Haley looked like she knew what everybody's game plan was and how to play into it, how to how to play off of it, and how to exploit it when when she wanted to. And so that makes her by far she had the if there is a breakout performance in this debate, it has to be Nikki Nikki Haley. Oh, I agree. And so the question now is, does this have an impact? I don't know if there's even any preliminary viewership numbers yet. Um, did any of the Trump's audience stay home, or did they watch Trump? Doing his Tucker Carlson interview? I mean, that's... Allegedly, 200 million people watch that video. Brandon, you may know this. How <laughs> long do you have to just hover or look at a video on Twitter before it counts as a, an impression or a right. view? And, it, we don't, and that would it be... I think it's like 1.6 seconds or something like and that. And think about when you scroll through your feed. It, it's not active watching. I would call that passive. I mean, you're not intentionally watching the video at that point. Like, if it is in your feed and it's within your... Uh, screen yeah. of reference your exposure you see it and that counts so it's like let's be honest <laughs> it's <laughs> more people in the united states did not watch that video than watch the super bowl yeah that, i mean that, I, that did not happen I, I i haven't even had a chance to read a recap yet of the tucker carlson interview as i have no idea what was said before we continue with the, the debate so you you didn't watch any of that interview i i did not i have not had time so to... you didn't you didn't miss anything okay uh, <laughs> i don't know how tucker carlson prepares questions but there was a lengthy conversation about does trump believe Epstein killed himself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, they had a great conversation about flushing toilets and showers and how Trump's always mad that there's not enough water. Uh, there were a couple of other things uh. that Tucker Carlson asked. And it's like, why? What? What, what are these questions? What are, you, what are you even talking about? And Trump would give these babble. It, it, it was a complete, I don't even know what to make of that. And I, I don't, those can't be having an impact, can they? I don't They're think so. They're so poor in quality it's and questioning. Ridiculous, yeah. And the fact that it was, again, done on X as well in terms of the platform yeah. with all of the bad news and people that are kind of migrating away. But let's talk for a moment and just reflect on how little regard Trump must have for his own voters because he doesn't believe he even needs to be on the stage with any opponents to make the case for another term. He thinks he is owed another term just by virtue of – having been the past president, that he has to do nothing. It's Despite the fact well, that he was rejected handily in the last national election, it really says a lot about his mentality. It also says a lot about what he thinks of his own voters, and it'll be interesting to see in time whether that uh, connection is made and whether his voters realize, recognize that. I don't know. I'd, I'd be real clear. You want me to debate if I'm Trump? One of you hit 20% in the polls, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll debate next time. One of you. One of you add, because I think I saw a poll today that DeSantis, Ramaswamy, and somebody else is like at 12. Somebody, is this a national poll? This was a national okay. poll. And I'll let Trump pick the poll. But I would come out and say, let me see that one of you actually can get within shouting distance of me, and then maybe I'll consider it. But Trump's point's valid. I'm not stepping into that. Why, why would I? Yeah. Vivek is my, my surrogate. He'll, he'll do my work for me. I can just sit back and watch everybody get mad and yell at each but other. But it's still a rejection of norms because that's, you know, we've we've always had 
Uh, We're past that, aren't we? Well, I guess we are. Because, I mean, he skipped one of the debates in 2016, didn't he? Remember when he did, he, he did that stunt where he was going to raise money for veterans and then he That's right. didn't I give them any that. of the money? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I just didn't. The Republican brand last night, in my opinion, I just kept looking at that saying, what are the Republicans trying to tell me? It's been reduced to a farce. If you want to see... Republicans were always known as being just kind of boring, normal, because they were always considered the adults yep. in the room party. If you go back and watch, like, um, one of the Republicans' debates, like the 1988 debate, I mean, it's like 180-degree difference, night and day, compared to what we saw last night. Or the 19, or the, the 2000 Republican mm-hmm. primary debates. Uh, it just shows how dramatically the party has changed, because, first of all, the candidates on all of those stages were elected officials who had had years of experience in office who were coming to the table with leadership credentials. There was no uh, celebrity candidate at that time. There was no Vivek. There was no focus on, you know, just phony cultural questions it was all policy driven back then and it's like it's it's the opposite now like the policy questions are at the bottom of the barrel and get very little of any attention and it's all focused on you know the the cultural issues and the hot button you know and just i don't know i i'm still trying to wrap my mind around how much has changed why even have debates after this after this presidential election do we know who's hosting the next i know the next debate's just a month away it's yeah, in September. i don't think it's fox okay i well, think that's it's somebody good. else I, I hope so i hope we have i i hope there's like a, a mainstream outlet i hope it's not like newsmax either or something i don't what if trump doesn't join these debates which i don't think he will what are the republicans trying to accomplish on this we're, we're showing you eight people on a stage that by number and by history have no chance to win the nomination. Nobody has ever been as far ahead as Trump has been in the primary and lost. So for historical purposes and for mathematical purposes, this primary is over. What what are we doing? Well, part of this is this is a norm that we've always had in terms of having these types of primary debates. So it's basically like this confluence of – you know, two different realities, the reality of the presidential process norms that have we've always had versus the new reality in the Trump era, where you have a candidate like Trump, who is far and beyond leading his opponents, which in normal times, a normal candidate wouldn't be this far ahead either, let alone one who's been indicted and has been federally charged. So it's trying to grapple with the fact that we're trying to play out a traditional political process against the backdrop of the most atypical, abnormal candidate and candidacy. And so that's what we're dealing with. And it's and those two things are going to be um, at loggerheads. They're mm-hmm. going to be f- at, uh, at intention for the next several months. And so I, there's no way around that. But from the candidate's perspective, if you're one of those candidates who are pulling in the single digits, you are still hoping for something where Trump implodes. You're either hoping that there's, you know, something happens to him and he either can't run or he's hospitalized or has a heart attack or there's some kind of breakthrough moment in the way that one of these court cases uh, proceeds where there's a development that causes him to just be rendered 
an audio tape of him and the Oath Keepers planning January 6th. It would right. take something to that level. Something to of that level. But it could happen. It could happen. But again, it's this, it's this reliance on the uh, unusual, like an unusual event to to change the dynamic of where we are in the race. And uh, there's enough of that, even though the likelihood is very slim, where enough of these candidates think it's worth a shot to be the fallback in case that does happen. I want to be the one who's left standing. I, I get it that this is the the primary and I get it. This is a, this is an in-house party. There, this is not the time that you're looking to expand the electric because you're just trying to energize your own folks. And I understand that, but the Republicans really don't, they do no brand management at all. They don't look at their product that they're, they're producing, like, like this debate, and the content that they're producing with the, the speech of all of their candidates, and look at that and say, how is the general political audience consuming this? Yeah, and going how to we, react, because this will come back to When we get to, to a general, them. how is all of this going to play? And sound bites in the general election. You're Terrible. depending on who becomes a nominee. Exactly. Just, just you could put together a super mix of all of this stuff, just from from Rebecca Ramaswamy talking about: Is this the Republican Party? Is this really who they are? I mean, if you can't understand the importance of of Ukraine, I apologize, but you're too stupid to be the president of the United States, and we should not take you seriously. Or the this this ridiculous notion which he continues to make over and over again that somehow we have pushed putin into the arms of china and i think it was nikki haley or one of the candidates reminded him you know hey putin went over to meet with Zhao jinping before the ukraine war broke out those discussions and that partnership that alliance was already well underway like so we did not push putin into china's arms and if anything our involvement in the ukraine conflict uh, is what will deter China from any aggressive moves on Taiwan because China is paying attention. And if we don't show leadership in pushing back against Russia, China is going to see that as an invitation to move into Taiwan because they know we won't act. Well, according to Vivek, in four years, we can have all of our uh, chip uh, production out of Taiwan and onshore here in the United States. Then after that, piss on it. Why do we care if the Chinese take Taiwan? I, Vivek it's a complete lack of understanding of foreign affairs and not, the history. It's just, <laughs> and none of that is feasible. I mean, chip production, being able to have the market on that in four years is not possible. Uh, and even if it was, somehow the you're basically insinuating, which is a departure from U.S. foreign policy, that um, any geopolitical calculation should only be contingent upon our own very narrow mm-hmm. um, yeah. economical interest. And if that's the case, and again, but this is from the Trump playbook, right? I mean, Trump was all about economical national interest. Every th- his foreign policy was all based on um, in the moment, uh, you know, tick for tack. Uh, so that's not unheard of. But that's also not how you run a foreign policy. It's also not how you retain allies or build alliances or have the partners at the table that you need down the line when a conflict erupts or when you need a trade deal. Transactional foreign policy is what he's arguing for. And that was Trump's foreign policy. But that's that's (laughs) it's not sustainable. I mean, we're still getting out of the hole of that type of policy from the Trump era. And, um, you know, I, I haven't heard. I wish there would have been a question to him about his thoughts on NATO, the closest that it came to that was uh, when Vivek say, was saying the Europeans aren't doing enough and they yeah. need to be doing more, uh, which 
I think it was also Nikki Haley who reminded him the percentage of what we're giving to Ukraine yeah. is a drop in the bucket of our entire defense it's budget. Three and a half percent. And the Europeans have all stepped up their yes. funding commitments and funding their n- national defenses as a portion of their own GDP. So all of that has happened in the past couple of years. And I wish somebody had also mentioned the fact that, hey, we have Norway, uh, or, or not Norway, Finland and Sweden now joining yeah. NATO, um, again, because of this effort and, and our leadership, none of which would have happened. So there's a lot to point to there in terms of um, the successes we've had. And, you know, it's just... It, it's ignorance on Vivek's part, complete ignorance. Vivek knows two things that all successful politicians do. And these two things must be done by a Republican politician. Number one, put a smile on, on, on your face, happy warrior, smiling joy at all times. This was the secret ingredient to Trump in 2016 that he can't emulate in 2020. Yeah. He's having no fun and all joy is gone. Vivek Ramaswamy He's always said smiling. <laughs> after the debate, that was a ton of fun. He is enjoying himself and he's having fun. The second thing that he's mastered is nobody wants to hear some shit about how something's complicated and you don't understand. Short, direct answers that have a conclusion said in a authoritative style is what people want to hear. But but don't you think he came across as too aggressive at times, too I think intrusive, he was just a, as an too much of a turnoff? I mean, he comes across he came across as a dick. I thought at some point and very annoying. But Vivek knows his audience. Well, that's true. Step that's what his one, audience wants. <laughs> step one is the MAGA base. Yeah. If you don't connect to the MAGA base, that's why Mike Pence is just wasting time, you're done. So Vivek knows, he knows what audience he's playing for, which is really Trump, but he, he's emulated that style to number one, I'm going to play that happy warrior. I, I'm not going to take this that seriously. When I make Nikki Haley scream at me, I'm going to have a smile on my face and a little giggle because I like it and I think other people like it, like it too. And he's the only person that's taking that tack. Trump did this masterfully the, oh, yeah. in, in, in 2016. Well, he's emulating Trump completely. In Very the much so. Did you see the one uh, line from Vivek that uh, received a response from Trump? Uh, but he was the greatest president of the 21st yeah. century. <laughs> yes. So he beats Obama, Clinton, and Bush. Yeah. Right? I, yeah, I think that's the three. Well, I mean, more if you're talking about the entire century, more than that. I, I mean, think he said the 21st century. So I took that as just as the 2000s. No, maybe, no, maybe no. I took that you're wrong. talking about the whole hundred years. No, he said the 21st century. So you're talking about the, oh, okay, well, from right. like 1900. Well, he said 21st century, right? I think so. Okay, uh, so oh, you're right. So that would just be. I'm sorry, I was thinking 20th. Century. It was a stupid line. It was by a him stupid line anyway, anyway. But it was so dumb, and it was totally plain to Trump. I mean, that's the that was an audience of one for that line because you're just you know going after the ego of one man, and Trump ate it up. But I don't, I don't understand, and Trump laid out such a clear path for this, for politicians to come behind him. People don't want to hear complicated explanations. I don't want to hear the history of Ukraine and the Soviet Union. I don't want to hear how difficult this is going to be. I want short, direct answers that have a conclusion that I can understand. We're going to tell Ukraine, Russia's here to stay, they get the land they've got, war over. Easy, simple, digestible, yeah. done. Vivek also has his pulse on, on the MAGA folks when he was telling people, I'm not here for incremental change. I'm here for revolution. That's what people want to hear. And that's what... That burn it down mentality. And that's what the, the established politicians on that stage cannot get through their heads. Another tactic 
of Trump's that Vivek emulates very well is the either or proposition, right? So, you know, we're funding this war in Ukraine and we're not yes. focusing on problems at home. Yep. You know, we're not focusing on Hawaii. Chris Christie, you have time to go to Ukraine, but that means you can't go to Hawaii and see the devastation. We're funding a forever war, you know, trying to make that linkage to Iraq, which is also, I think, very effective because people are so sour after our 20 years mm-hmm. spent in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. So calling Ukraine a forever war and then saying that it detracts from our inner cities, homelessness, crime. Just, You're basically saying you can't chew gum and juggle at the same time well, is what is like those are two different buckets is. of money and two well, yeah. totally different branches of government that uh, deal with well, them. Well, totally. But one it, doesn't cross the other. No, but again, it's uh, going for very simplistic thinking, right? And just like it's either or. This is my point. Nobody wants to hear the explanation. No, they don't. They just want to hear something's being taken from you and given to these people that are not you who truly don't deserve it. And that is the sentiment of the MAGA base because that's, that's how Trump was elected, right? It's like um, they don't care about you. They're not spending money on you. They're not, you know, this it's all here. And so he did that effectively. Next debate is September. Does Trump debate this one? The next one? Oh, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I think he skips. Them I all. would not be surprised if he skips them all. I think. I he mean, skips if his poll all. numbers have changed, like he's yeah, going to skip them. There's all. just no after. Well, heading into Super Tuesday, which is in March, he's he's going to have it locked up. If he wins Iowa, basically he has it locked up because yeah. he's going to win New Hampshire. He's going to win South Carolina. He's going to win Nevada. So it's just again. It, we're we're getting down to the point where it's time to start dropping out. Four people on that stage need to go. I don't know why Doug Bergman was there. I, I didn't need his seven minutes of input. Hutchinson can go. Pence can go. And, they and need to wipe them off the stage. Doug Bergman is a normal Republican candidate, a traditional Republican candidate, but also he's more focused on one issue, which is energy. And, you know, that's and his state. A traditional Republican has zero chance to do anything. In this in this primary. By the way, Fox is hosting the second debate as well. They are okay. Yeah, it's at the Reagan Presidential Library. Well, Trump's not going to that. Didn't that's where Megyn Kelly got on him or something? He he had a bone to pick with the the Reagan Library, I thought. And oh well, it was because way back in 2015, <laughs> um, early on in his campaign, after he announced. He was the, the, one of the board of directors. Somebody on the board of directors made a statement saying he was not allowed to be there because he was a considered traditional Republican. Okay. He has held this long time sure, grudge sure. like he tends to do. Yeah. And so that's why he wants to foot there. So does anything. Well, let, let's go this way. Did we learn anything about anybody that we didn't know for you, Brandon? Did anything change with how you view any of these candidates? And is there anything you're looking forward to them talking about in the next next debate well i don't know that i learned anything new i think Mm. some of the candidates articulated their um positions a little bit better than i've seen and there's uh you know a few showed that they were able to take on some of the other candidates uh we saw who was willing to go after trump and who wasn't there weren't i mean there wasn't a lot in terms of anything new i think if anything what was most remarkable is a candidate who needed a standout moment the most, DeSantis, did not have that and, and basically just, you know, flamed out. He just can't look comfortable. He no. just can't look normal. He just, when he, he tried to smile early on like and looked very cringy. And yeah. Just, yeah, he, he, he's not, he's not going to make it. He's not going to catch on. He's, so he's done. I, I don't know really what there is to be gained from more of these debates. I don't know. I, I just, <laughs> 
I don't, yeah. I mean, Fox had fun putting it on, I guess. The candidates enjoyed themselves. 7,000 people got a free night out at an arena to, to hoot and holler, but that, I don't... I don't really understand what we're what we're getting. I'm gonna have to do a little bit more research because how many are there total before six? Are there there's that many? And I mean, because before Iowa, Iowa's in January. That can't be right because we only have four months. Three sounds about right. But now I'm wondering too if Fox is hosting the first two, if they're doing all of them, or if there's going to be any. I don't. I I just don't diversity in terms of moderation. No candidate. And this is where Tim Scott could come into play, could look at those people on that stage and say, you're fucking kidding me, right? The number one story here is our party's falling apart. Yeah. We are in disintegration mode. We are, we are, we, the, you keep saying the nation's in decline, DeSantis, the party is in decline. And that's what we should be talking about here. We should be openly debating what is the current direction of the party and what is the future direction of the party and how do we get here? All of this shit we're talking about from a policy perspective of what, of what they're going to do, the party isn't capable of executing on any of that. They, they missed my, my – the favorite part of any Republican debate is when they force the candidates to go through, or maybe they willingly volunteer, which departments in the federal government, Brandon, are, are you going to get rid of? That was the only question I didn't hear last night. It's my favorite because everybody always names three but nobody ever asked them the follow-up question. No. Can you name me the last time a federal agency was taken out of existence? When was that, and why was it taken out of existence? Nobody answers those types of questions. Yeah. Everybody just gets a free pass on being a dumb-dumb in these debates. Well, and again, the moderators don't push them either. No. And if we're going to talk about you know, the decline of the Republican Party, because Brett Baer asked a loaded question, talk about the decline of American cities, which is definitively arguable, to say the least— but like that should have been a question about the decline of the party, and there should have been some type of lead up, uh, noting that, you know, out of the last eight presidential elections, the Republicans have only lost, won the popular vote one time out of the yeah. past eight. You know, what is the party going to do to change that? You know, look at the difficulty they have on the congressional level. What happened to the red wave that was supposed to happen mm-hmm. last year? That'd been a great one to debate and hear some ideas. Right. And we didn't see any of that. And so it's just, again, it's this like head in the sand mentality, refusal to recognize. And we get back to that same question we always ask, like, how many election losses does it take? Will it take losing again uh, a presidential election for that wake up call to happen? Like, what does it take for them to chart a new direction? Brendan, I've been told reliably by the Republicans in the House of Representatives that I should start learning Cantonese because in 10 years, we're all going to be taken over by China wasn't a single question. I don't think last night about China, our relationship. What is your vision for it in the future? How are we going to find a way to get along with China? Because going to war with China is not, not viable for either one of us. That's not going to happen. So how do we get back to at least finding a way that we're not just at each other and picking at each other? There was one question about China, but I'm trying to remember it was so, so late in the debate. I, I feel like, if it wasn't the last question, it was a question where they were asked to all go around and do like their 30 mm-hmm. second closing and yeah. include China. But you're right, it wasn't a focal point. And, you know, besides the, the obvious just rhetoric about how, you know, we're not focused enough on China, like, what is your plan? How would you engage China? What would you do differently than what we're doing now? And I would love for someone to say, we're going to set the rules. Nobody here is running for emperor. So whenever you say you're going to do something, we're going to give you an extra 20 seconds. How? How? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? 
How are you going to pass through two branches of the judicial system with that? Or the legislative, got that wrong. How are you going to get the 60 senators? How are you going to get the majority in the House? I would love it if somebody just said, what you just said, you know as well as I do, you're totally full of shit. You got 30 more seconds. Can you give us any explanation of, of, of how you would do that? And we're just not going to, I just have no interest in, in watching a bunch of people spout out a bunch of shit that I know is not going to happen. And half of it shouldn't happen. I don't know. Well, and the problem is with these debates, there's never any follow-up and there's never any no. attention to dig deeper. No. And so, you know, there are some journalists in a one-on-one who do this very well. Uh, Jonathan Swan with Axios yeah. is one of those reporters. <laughs> we who just will... massacred Trump that day. Yes. But again, this is what uh, a larger critique of American media, because there are very few reporters like that who will be that aggressive. And the fact is you have to be, if you're going to get anything concrete out of many of these politicians and people that are aspiring for offices. And, and we don't get that out of a debate when you have eight candidates on the stage. It's all superficial. It's all at that level. It's all talking points. And it, it always takes me back to like, I feel like we get very little out of these. Why can't Brett Baer, after he asked, I forget the question he asked for DeSantis, but DeSantis pivots and doesn't answer the question. Yeah. Why, would, that all why night, when he's not done, can't Brett Baer look in the camera and say, and Governor DeSantis failed to answer that question. So if you're scoring, if it, you're yes. scoring at home, give him one demerit for that and just move on to the next one. I don't, I don't understand how, why this level of deference. Like I, they, I don't get it. These are people that are vying for the highest job They're in the all land. All full of shit too. All of them. <laughs> I just that debate last night. If that's the next two debates, uh, they can have them. I don't see why why we're doing that. Yeah, I I mean, knowing now, too, and if, especially if we're going to have the same moderators, which it sounds like, I mean, I have no interest in the next I, two I don't get that. So it's 7.13 East Coast time. Do you think Trump's been booked, fingerprinted, and weighed, and his mugshot's out online yet? So, yeah, an hour ago, he was yeah flying out. So, the, you know, the big thing in the betting world is mm-hmm. over, yeah. under 273 pounds. They, they let him self, they let him, they're not going to weigh him. You get to tell them how much you weigh. Yeah. Yeah, so he's going to say like 210, 215. Oh, wait, so they're not going to actually no. weigh him? Okay. I, heard, I heard today that they're not going to actually weigh him. They're just going to ask him his height. Wait, wait, weight. is that typically what they do? I don't know, and maybe maybe this is just somebody said that, but I would personally love to get his true height. I want to know what weight. that is because we have not had that. Um, and if anybody remembers when he was president and he had to do like the annual physical, his mm-hmm. doctor who was that ridiculous guy who's now in Congress. Ronnie Jackson. Yeah, he would always issue a statement saying Trump is the healthiest person I've ever seen, or, you know, some kind of just con- like over the top, ridiculous. I mean, I usually don't care about stuff like that, but Trump's made such a deal of it. Let's be petty. Yeah, let's be. And he's let, he, let's be petty. He will personally attack other people 100%. for their looks and weight and everything all that's the time. Right. That, that's so, a great point. How many people is he called fat? Right. And I can't remember who. I think it was Joe Klein. Somebody made this case, um, and you may have seen this article saying. Is the time now to like go after Trump and be as petty to him as he is to everybody else? There's always been this case by the opposition to Trump saying we're, we don't stoop to that level. He's always going to go there. But like, are we not at the point with everything that has transpired over the past seven, eight years? Like, give him a taste of his own medicine. Does he deserve the respect and deference that a normal former leader of the free world should get, or should we recognize that he plays on an entirely different? level with his own set of rules and that we should you know play somewhat on that level um i don't know it's just it's it's an interesting question 
for some reason, the Republican Party has allowed Trump a completely set of political rules than anybody else. And those rules stay in place because nobody will just take him on and go through him. Everybody tries to go around him or defer to him. Nobody will say, hand in ground, I'm coming straight through you. And even Chris Christie, this was his first opportunity on the biggest stage to swing it around, and he chose not to. So even he made a calculation. Now's not the time to swing hard on Trump. So I don't, I don't understand that. What do you mean specifically with Chris Christie not swinging hard at Trump? Chris Christie's opening statement, his final statement, and every statement in between should be about how Donald Trump is uniquely unfit and dangerous to get back into the presidency of the United States. If we are here on a Republican debate talking about Republican issues, God damn it, there's only one issue worth, worth talking about, and that's the orange guy who's not here. Because if he gets back into into office, let me tell you something, folks. The Republican Party, we're fucked. We're we're it's we're, over, yeah. we're done for. That was the whole debate, wasn't it? That's the issue most people care about. I don't give a shit what Mike Pence thinks he can do on a tax reform because he's not going to get elected, and even if he did, he couldn't get it done anyway. So to me, it was an exercise in avoiding the person, the theme, and the the real problem. That the Republicans have. Well, I agree with you, although I think Chris Christie came closest to that. I mean, he was the most forceful and um, and several times throughout the night in terms of going after Trump and the um, pushing back against the attacks on uh, the Justice Department. I can't remember. Was it Pence? Somebody. Uh, it may have been DeSantis. And again, I'm forgetting who said what, but one of them who went after the quote unquote weaponization of justice um, said they would fire Merrick Garland on day one. Well, no shit. Like, of course he would, because every president appoints their own AG. And it's one of those like I'm like, that is the most stupid answer. Like somehow that's some kind of like big news. Like, oh, I'm going to do this on day one. Like. or everybody's going to get impeached. We're going to impeach Mayorkas. We're going to impeach Biden. We're going to impeach everybody. Is that really what you want to do before the election? Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Again, it points to the, the fact that you're unserious. And, it does. And you should be, you know, on that stage to begin with. And if Trump's in the barrel, you can't let Biden go unscathed. I understand how all of that happens. But does this help you? I still think the number one problem the Republicans have is the Republican Party itself. Yeah. And until they choose to deal with that, they just don't deserve to be considered. And you talk about what would get rid of Trump. It's extremely easy. Ignore him 100% of the time. Just ignore him. Don't call him. Don't talk to him. Don't put, ignore him. Deprive him of the one thing he must have, attention, and he'll go away. If he and stop coming to his defense, yes, stop attacking his uh, perceived opponents, and yeah, correct, like he doesn't exist, he would fold up and go away. Very Trump thrives on attention, and he's always been an attention whore. And the candidates, whether intentionally or not, continue to give him that undeserved attention they have since day one. So this week. We hit the parade of folks coming in for their uh, their to, to get booked. Oh yeah, I enjoyed the mugshots. Uh, We've seen Rudy and Jenna Ellis and Sidney Powell and John Eastman. I, I was so happy to see that Mark Meadows, Rudy he, Giuliani. Uh, I saw a uh, meme that had his mugshot and it said Four Seasons God. Landscaping Employee of the Year." <laughs> Just Jenna Ellis smiled for yeah. her mugshot. I mean, I don't. Mark Meadows. Oh, Mark Meadows and Jeffrey Clark trying to get out of their uh, surrendering and getting, you know, basically shot down by a judge. But somehow he still managed to make it today. He still managed to make it to Atlanta. Mark Meadows did. 
Well, b- because I mean that appeal got shot down. I sure, mean, he, uh, but his appeal was well, it was it was Clark who's like, I don't want to make rush travel plans, and I don't know if I can get there. <laughs> Bullshit. Give me a break. <laughs> get get on the plane and, and and let's let's go. Yeah. So, do you think Trump's mugshot comes out tonight? Uh, I, I hope so. I I don't know what the typical timeline is in Fulton County for that, because um, I think it differs by jurisdiction, but. I I mean the sooner the better because uh, again that's going to be like talk about merch I mean that's going to be all over the place. Who owns that? Who owns that mugshot? Who do you, who do you have to license to get Trump's official mugshot on a T-shirt? I don't know. I don't know how that works. Yeah, is it I mean, Trump that owns it? Is it the state of Georgia? That's a very good question. I, some research God. has to be done there. In, in my ultimate fantasy, Georgia owes that picture. They merch it out. Oh, and would they, that be amazing? They pay for the expense of the trial by selling Trump their merch. There you go. That would be <laughs> just outstanding. I see Trump already dropped some of his lawyers in, in Georgia. He's already gotten a new a new lawyer, so he's already oh, going really? through. Oh, really? Which lawyer did he ditch? I, I don't know. Somebody texted me today, and I'm like, don't don't, don't learn the guy's name. No, it's he, already he the beginning. Be, it's going to continue. He won't be around for a month or two. This is another story that's starting to try to take take weed on the, the entertainment right side. Your Charlie Kirks, um, your Sebastian Gorkas, people like that, that – Trump cannot find adequate legal counsel. This is all a plot to keep the best lawyers from him. And that if he had decent lawyers, he could tear through these charges like, like, like paper. And one of the reasons why he's going to get convicted is that the government and the elite it's a institutions to deny him yes, representation to oh keep gosh. great lawyers from him. Uh, that that must be some massive conspiracy where they have basically coordinated among all of these attorneys throughout the country and all of these different jurisdictions where he's been tried to basically either quiet them, pay them off, and not have them come to Trump's defense. Uh, that That's remarkable. I wish I could live one year of my life where I'm not accountable for anything I do. Not say. <laughs> just walk through it and just say, hey, I just created a big mess over there. Someone will clean that up and just walk off. Because that's what that's what Donald Trump does. Yeah, are we? We have to be entering into the final phase, aren't we? I think both of us agree Trump's not going to get reelected. No. So we're we're in the last six to eight months of this. It feels like, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it can't go faster. I mean, it's. I, I feel like, yeah, this is the end. Trump has no recourse after this is over. I mean, the presidency is his lifeline. To, um, I mean, he saw it as his lifeline to avoid prosecution. And, you know, there there just isn't much after this. I mean, he's no. ex- totally exposed after this campaign is over. What month does Trump drop out of the presidential campaign if he drops out at all? Oh, that's a good question. If he were to drop out um, April or May? How many primaries has Trump won by April or May? All of them? Well, I would say, yeah, because I would say if he's going to drop out, it'll be after Super Tuesday. So that he'll have... How can he drop out after he just cleaned up Super Tuesday? I mean, after what I saw last night, no one's offering any serious resistance here. No, I mean, I don't expect him to drop out. This is, I think, the most improbable. Okay, so you're you're saying he's not going to drop out. I don't think he's going to drop out. I don't think so, because he's going to start picking up 
victories. If he's he going were, to win states. If he were to drop out, it would be as late as possible to cause mass chaos <laughs> at the convention because you have to remember that Trump does not care at all about the party. No. And if he is going to be forced out of the race or have something that forces him out, he is going to want to do the most damage possible to the party that he leaves behind. And so it would be as late as possible to basically screw them over. That's what he would do. Does Trump win Iowa as we stand? We're still four as months As of now, out, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, and he's leading by, you know, 27 points or higher in virtually all of the polls. He clears the field if he wins Iowa. I think so, because I don't—there's not much resistance in the states that follow after that. I just—and again, I have always been the one that says, you know, usually the Iowa winner does a portend victory. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many cases where, you know, someone has won Iowa and hasn't gone on to become the nominee. But I think things are so different this year because Trump is so far ahead, I mean, in all of the polling— that, you know, it's just, it's a, at that point, he has the momentum that you can't take yeah. away from him at that point. Do you think anybody drops out after this debate? Do you think Tim Scott or Hutchinson or? I think Tim Scott's going to try to hang on at least through the second debate. I do think that some of these candidates will drop out as we get into like November time yeah. period. I think you'll really start to see some of these candidates drop out. But um, there's that second third tier which includes scott haley um you know who will still be in probably christy uh but yeah i mean somebody like doug burnham um i keep wondering when pence is going to drop out because he has the like no path but i wonder if he's just going to hang on as long as possible i don't know at least until i again i don't even know where he's getting his money from i mean that campaign has to be on a shoestring budget yeah, I think he's the one who pulled the donate a dollar, I'll send you a $20 one of those. card. Yeah. There were several who did that. <laughs> By the way, uh, Doug Burnham had that send a dollar, $20 gift card. So yeah. did the Miami mayor who did not yeah, make this he debate. Didn't make it. Wow, he just pissed away a bunch of money. Yeah. Or, or he pissed away a bunch of somebody's money. Which, by the way, even if you didn't like any of the candidates, that's a pretty good investment. Like, donate yeah, a dollar, absolutely. get a $20 dif- gift card. I mean, <laughs> They're going to have to come up with some rules about that, aren't they? I mean, come on, guys. Well, again, yes. And under normal times, like that would be something the FEC would smack down. But the problem is there's not a quorum on the FEC no. because there has been um, the uh, Congress is intentionally not funding it because they don't want them to have enforcement powers to go after themselves. Shocking. Trump's uh, right? not going to fund that. I mean, they could look into all this grifting and all this oh, transferring of money around. And Trump yeah, completely neutered that. the FEC Complete, when he was in office. And he did yeah. that 100% intentionally. intentionally. Yeah. Okay, Brandon, we have to talk about your vacation plans. Tell everybody where you're going for the next three weeks. Um, I am going to Poland uh, and also doing a side trip to Germany. It's a trip I've had planned for a while. Uh, I thought you were going to say side trip to Ukraine. No, no, no. I'm not going to Ukraine. I I don't have a death wish. Brandon, you're not secretly a freedom fighter, are you? You're not one of these Americans that we're going to see on the news suddenly strapped up and and fighting in Ukraine. No, not at all. I'm not. (laughs) This is not some clandestine mission. I'm not doing like side work for CIA. You just wanted to go to Poland. Yeah. So I have Polish, Polish ancestry. It's been on my bucket list for a long time. I've had this trip planned. And um, it's something I wanted to do. By the way, I do know some people who went earlier this summer, had a fantastic time, didn't run into any issues. And I will say that I'm not, even when it comes to the country, I'm not going anywhere east of Warsaw. I will say that there have been missile strikes as close (laughs) as 50 miles from the Polish border, um, eastern border. But um, I am not going to be anywhere near the eastern (laughs) border of Poland. Um, So I will be mostly in the capital center of the country, Krakow, 
um, down south and then western Poland. Uh, so, yeah. And I, I like most Americans. When I think of Poland, I think of Eastern European. I think of kind of dirtier, poorer, and just generally not as advanced well, well, and not as good as the U.S., I don't think that's right. That is not accurate. No. I'm going to say, by the way, Poles get very offended when uh, people call them Eastern European. They view themselves as Central European, sure, sure. which is also Czech people say the same <laughs> thing. Um, so, number one. Number two, most people don't know that um, in all of uh, continental Europe, uh, after Germany, Poland has the largest GDP, mm-hmm. and definitely by far yeah. in the eastern central bloc of countries. Extremely modern cities. Uh, very modern cities, um, very uh, high uh, uh, living standards now. So people, do, uh, there's been a lot of change since the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of Soviet communism. Poland has really come into affluence. Um, very modern cities. So you can read almost every travel publication has now rated Warsaw and Krakow and several other Polish cities as like the cities to go to. So these were cities that were under the radar because they're very affordable and they just didn't get the attention. But now like the travel boom that is hitting is just crazy by people to these places. So people are going to Poland more now? They're they're going more in the last couple of years because it's been kind of this like, um, you know, kind of best kept secret. And it's now getting a lot of exposure um, because they, even despite the war, they have all of this like uh, architecture, too, that's really um, old. They have a lot of history, you know, that goes back, you know, centuries, Um, good food, very affordable. You can get around very easy, very modern uh, transportation train system. Um, and, and especially like Western Poland, I'm probably going to do a weekend trip to Berlin, um, which from Western Poland is very easy to do in an afternoon Take the train. Yep. Just yeah. train across. There's a high speed train that goes from Warsaw to Berlin. Yeah. But yeah, the fact is, and a lot of people don't realize a lot of major global brands have their Eastern central European headquarters in Poland. Google does, yeah. uh, meta uh, as well. So a lot of headquarters in Poland, big business capital for Europe, um, so yeah, there's a lot to be said there. So, and the one pushback I will also say to, if there was going to be a situation where Russia was going to be reckless, that's much more likely to happen in the Balkan state of one of the Balkan states so. of Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, which are much more exposed than Poland, because not only is Poland an economic and military powerhouse. Which, by the way, we've increased our troop presence in Poland mm-hmm. over the last four or five years. So we have a massive number of U.S. troops, a lot of them from Germany that are stationed there. But uh, uh, Poland, that would be, again, we're talking about World War Three. if there were to be an incident hey, that happened in Poland. Poland is begging for Russia to come across that border. They just bought 200 Abrams tanks. Didn't they buy like 100 or Yeah, you sent me the YouTube video. Yeah, they yeah. also bought like 150 or 200 Apache helicopters. Poland's not messing around. They have around. a very strong military. They're yes. very advanced. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not messing around um, I mean, at all. If you let Ukraine, Poland, and Finland at Russia, Russia Russia's gone. They yeah. can't handle that. You sent me the old, uh, uh, what's his name, Pogosin? Prigozhin. Yeah, we didn't even get to that topic. So Prigozhin, who was, uh, who, uh, yeah, past tense was, <laughs> the, the leader of the Wagner Group, so the private army, um, longtime Putin ally who started as his chef, started this private army uh, very close to Putin. The private ar- This private army is active throughout the world, not only in Russia, basically fighting the war in Ukraine, which Russia would have a chance if it wasn't for his army, but also in Nigeria, throughout the Middle East, Syria, a lot of hotspots. 
But Prigozhin was the one who attempted to uh, stage a rebellion, march on Moscow, um, actually captured a southern Russian city, and then turned back. And then, you know, there was this weird dynamic that happened all within the course of two days, yeah, several months ago, where, you know, there was a truce brokered and uh, Prigozhin went to Belarus. So... I, and I think you were of the same mindset, long thought that his days were numbered. Sure. Like, there was no way that he was going to be allowed to do this no, because Putin no said this was treasonous, and he referred to him as a traitor. And so then when this truce happened, I'm like, this is weird. And the fact that he didn't, like, flee as far away from Russia as possible, the fact that he stayed close by, I'm like, what is going on? This is He's not going to be allowed to live. This man doesn't know the strongman rules of a coup. If you're if you're three fourths of the coup, and you've already taken a city, and you've already gone at the king. You have to see it through. That when he turned around on the road to Moscow, he was dead. He was dead that day. Oh, completely. Putin is not good at waging a war, but what is the one thing we know he's good at? Oh, it's he'll, making he'll people killing. disappear. He but, makes people disappear but, very well. What I don't understand is I thought his main bitch was he didn't like the defense minister and the minister of war, the two dudes running the war. He was pissed at and didn't correct. Like. Okay, here's where this doesn't make sense. If I sit at the top of my own private army, and by army, I mean guys that back guys up against walls and beat them to death with hammers. These are the kind of guys I, I'm in charge of. Why didn't I just have somebody go kill one of those guys? Poison him, throw him off a building, just do standard Russian shit. Putin will, yeah, he'll be mad at me, but he's not going to kill me over that. I, none of yeah. this makes sense. The the drive up to the highway to Moscow, the turning around because it was reported. It was that, so that bizarre they had your the way family. this all happened. Yeah. Like you wouldn't do something with that before this so, starts. I feel like there's a lot more we don't know, yeah. obviously. And and so, yeah, a couple of days ago, it was a private jet. Uh, Prigozhin was on board with, I think, 10 other people. The jet went down on a flight between Moscow and St. Petersburg. And clearly if there's a video out there you can watch i mean it like nosedives it goes down videos of this are there it's like they told people that's putin's jet you might want to watch that or that's Putin's jet i did the whole thing i I couldn't help but like snicker and roll my eyes when i heard the statement about putin issuing his condolences (laughs) (laughs) did did you hear the official kremlin cause of the accident oh no what pilot committed suicide God. Yeah, the pilot. Oh, it, it's just like the people that fall out of windows. It's interesting yeah. how that happens in Russia. Pretty sure either somebody put a bomb in that jet or they just shot it down. Oh, yeah. And pretty sure Putin had to make that call himself. So some American um, security analysts, there was, I forget, and within the Pentagon today, there's a group of them that said there was um, a detonated explosion on board the aircraft. I heard that is too, the belief damn. now. But there was also somebody who said there were puncture marks on the wings. But yeah. Either way, we know this wasn't like a mechanical failure. This was an intentional downing of this. It was a blatant downing. Blatant downing. You can see that from the video. You can see that from what happened with the aircraft, um, let alone just the uh, the history when it comes to anybody that crosses Putin. Yeah, you can't just say, oops, he slipped and fell. This one was pretty blatant. But everybody knew this this was going to happen. Oh, yeah. Are you leaving for Poland this week or this week? Next week. Next week, okay. So, yeah, so next uh, Wednesday, I'm flying to New York Wednesday, um, and then Thursday morning, my flight is from JFK direct to Warsaw. Well, there's no way the weather in Warsaw can suck as bad as the weather in Overland Park, Kansas. No, no, I think it's supposed to be like low 80s. If, if this is if this is what climate change looks like every year, 
we need to do something right now. For those that aren't in Kansas City, we have now had uh, five days straight of temperatures over 100 degrees, and the heat index is like 110 to 115 degrees. It was 118 degree heat index the other day. And, and you know, don't get me wrong. I'm one of these people. I'm not a cold weather person. I love heat. I love summer, but this is too much for me. Like I can't like over 100 degrees. That's kind of my. Brandon, limit. I'm having to shower every day. What the hell? Even just being outside like 10 minutes, you, you have to can't. take a shower. It's I so took bad. the dog for a walk today at 5:26 in the morning. I haven't taken my dog for a walk all week. So does, far. does your I dog just, just look at you like, "What the hell? What what, what? what are we doing? Come on, let's go, let's go." And kind like, of, but I he can't doesn't take you out. My there. dog um, has, is a short-haired dog with multiple layers of hair because he's uh, part corgi, Australian cattle yeah. dog. So he doesn't tolerate the heat very well either. No. So he'll go out, do his business, and then went right back in. Yeah. Like he does not want to be outside. So if I try to take him for a walk, I know, because I know just when it's been like 95 degrees, we will get like a couple blocks and then mm-hmm. he'll stop and like not want to go yeah. further. So well, Poop's big thing is he passes out in the heat now. He's like 14 years old. Uh, yeah, so he'll just be walking and just boop, just fall down. Oh, Legs the older dogs stiff. can't take yeah, it's it. Like, we, that's why we have to go in the morning. Well, the one positive is I think starting Saturday we're supposed to get a cool down so. finally, which will be nice. It, it's got to get, it's got to break at some point in time. All right, Brandon, that's our hour. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week.